and is certainly going to raise lots of questions about the future of your tenure at Boston College. On today's show, we're going to discuss Jeff Halfley, who three years ago, there was a lot of excitement going into his tenure to start here at BC. And now it's all gone. And folks are, are asking questions. And Mitch and I, we're going to be asking some questions too. All this and more on today's Locked On BC. You are Locked On Boston College, your daily podcast on the Boston College Eagles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on BC, AJ Black. Today's episode is brought to you by Omaha Steaks. Omaha Steaks is a gift from the heart, a gift that will be remembered with every unforgettable bite. Order with complete confidence today, knowing you're ordering the very best. Visit omahasteaks.com and use promo code Locked On at checkout to get that extra $30 off your order. All right, so folks, I know folks out there are listening, and many of you are, are not on the Jeff Halfley bandwagon. Many of you are firmly off of that bandwagon. And this that's the that's the purpose of today's episode. Where should where where are Mitch and I in terms of our thoughts on on Halfley and talking about what he did wrong, what he did right this season, and, and getting into our first of many pieces of our autopsy on this twenty two season. And of course, joining me as always is Mitch Wolf. Mitch, how's it going? I'm doing well, AJ. I'm excited to talk about this. I think this is going to be a very important discussion that will kind of frame the rest of the off season. So. I, I look at some sites and uh, one that I looked at uh, earlier is coach's hot seat. There's just one guy who makes his own hot seat list. He's got Jeff Halfley at number seven on his list mm-hmm. of, of coaches on the hot seat. What were, you know, I, I think there are a lot of, of concerns ending this season, but what were some of your takeaways positive or negative for how Halfley addressed this season? Some of his shortcomings, things like that. So I think this is tough. I think I'll have to start with some of the negatives and the negative is going into the season, not doing enough in the portal to address the offensive line, even before Christian Mahogany's injury, because after that, it was kind of late in the process. There wasn't much you could do. Uh, so that that's an issue. And Halfley's talked a lot about his philosophy and process regarding the portal. And I respect it. And I think it's generally right. But I think, I think I think he learned this year that sometimes you need to kind of bite the bullet, if you will, and get more aggressive in the portal. And that's a lesson that needed to be learned. Uh, I think that he didn't show a lot of progression in terms of how to manage a game in terms of uh, play calling, clock management, um, just kind of general strategy for how to handle uh, situational football in terms of going forward on fourth, calling the right play when going forward on fourth, that kind of stuff. Um, I think you saw a lot of issues on special teams. Now, I, I don't think a ton of that falls on Halfley. That's a pretty granular process that a lot of that falls on the special teams coordinator who is a Halfley guy. So that's mm-hmm. a big problem. And especially because for the last few years, at least, I guess at least the last two years, BC special teams has been, I'll say consistent. Uh, you know, they, I don't think they've been explosive by not like a Virginia Tech Frank Beamer team by any means, but they've been mm-hmm. consistent. They've been solid punting, solid kicking the last few years. So, you know, when those things go to hell, if you will, then it looks all the worse. In terms of what went well, I mean, it, it's hard to say. I mean, like I said, I, I don't think the defense was as bad as people think on, on a down to down basis. The problem was the final scores just 
don't look good and it's hard to look past that. I get it. And I I still think he did a decent job of, of keeping the team together. I think maybe the final two weeks, it kind of fell apart where it just got really tiring, but you know, staying in that game against NC state and, you know, finding a way to win that game when that was a really unlikely outcome, um, having the team fight to the end against Duke, you know, th- those were encouraging signs, you know, at that point I, I was pretty confident saying the team hadn't quit yet. Uh, last two weeks have kind of foiled that argument a little bit. And on one hand, I kind of get it. Like, I mean, when you get, I mean, what did Notre Dame trip out to like a 37, nothing leave mm-hmm. in the first half at that point, you're just like, man, I, I can't do this anymore. And it starts snowing and you're cold and everything. So I think after that, there was, it, that was kind of the end of it. And you saw that things kind of fell apart towards the end of the Syracuse game. And you know, again, I'm not sure how much this falls on the head coach, but I, I think don't think you really can't. I don't think you can really blame him for it. But just a, a, another year with a lot of injuries at the end of the season, something we talked about on last yesterday's episode, where you got to. Ch- I think you got to change something in the strength and conditioning and how that's all managed, because for every at the end of the at the end of the year, every year for half leaders, and I mean, again, this happens with a lot of college programs, but it it just seems to be happening at key positions where BC can't backfill from depth. And so mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that means he needs to be recruiting better because I, I think he's done a pretty decent job recruiting, at least at the top end of the class. Maybe the bottom end is worse. Um, and I think the other thing, and I think this is kind of the big thing about Halfley through these first three years. And we kind of saw the, the dark side of it is that he, he does have that loyalty to a fault to his guys. We saw this with um, a guy like Jack Conley, who we've talked ad nauseum about. Uh, we saw it with a guy like Jaden Williams, who he, tried to get who he kept trying to force the lineup, but then they finally got him out, put in Dino Tomlin, put in Joseph Griffin. Um, so a lot of those kind of things, and even, even Dracovic where it was just really going bad for Dracovic. And again, I don't think they should have played Moorhead sooner, but I think you could see the argument for it, but halfway he does have that point where he's just, he's staying loyal to his guys because he appreciates the hard work they're putting in. But at some point, you know, hard work in practice, if it's not equating to competent results in the field, you need to make a change. Yeah, and we'll talk about that in our second second segment of what does Halfley need to change. <clears throat> but I'm gonna I'm gonna jump into and you kind of alluded to it a little bit. But I I, I my biggest issue is the transfer portal. And he alluded to in his comments that we brought this up months ago when he was talking about that he tried to get um you know offensive linemen in here, and there was issues with it. Sounded like he said admissions and nil. Mm-hmm. He mentioned that they need to be paid. Now, I think, and this is my personal perspective here, that I, and he's a coach, so I'm not calling him a liar because he's, I don't think he is, but I, I, I'm not the, I'm not totally sold on every single recruit in the transfer portal had, had a NIL number next to them. Because if you, if you're listening to this NIL, like those big numbers that you see for like Bryce Young or Caleb Williams, that is like half of a percent of the other people, uh, the people that get those big deals. Like there's like, you could count like 10 people that get those big ones. The other ones, they're getting little tiny things here and there. Like Joe Schmo's sub shack sponsors them for like 200 bucks a semester or something crazy like that. So I, I, I tend to not agree with that, especially given that you can go into the FCS, the IVs, to, to uh, you know, smaller programs and get starters from those programs that can just be a warm body 
and that you don't need to put Jackson Ness out there. No offense to him, but he should be playing on the defensive line. So I I don't want to say that he's not being, I don't want to say he's being disingenuous. I think he could have been more aggressive there. And I think he would have found some things if he did that um, in the transfer portal. And I think as you brought up too, his loyalty to his players leaves him in blind spots where he can't, he could go out there and find guys that may be, you know, you're, you're a coach. You got to play tough sometimes. And yeah, you want to be the guy's friends out there or not their friends, but be loving and supportive of them. But you also need to be tough at times too. And if there's a guy out there that is better, you got to go with it sometimes. Yeah. And I think that that, that could have been part of the reason why he wasn't so aggressive in the portal. Cause he was thinking, okay, like, you know, we've got, you know, even like, let's, let's just say before Mahogany's injured. Cause I think that's kind of the, that's, that, that's kind of a one-off thing that obviously changed a lot of things, but that that's kind of outside our purview of the right. discussion here is that, you know, you've got, okay, we got Mahogany coming back. We've got Kendall who's coming in at the center. Like we feel good about him. He's young, but he, we're going to have next Mahogany. He's going to develop. That'll be fine. Uh, we'll have Trapilo at left tackle again, young guy, but he's got a lot of talent. We'll develop him. We're going to have Finn Durstein at left guard, extremely veteran player. Hasn't played a lot, but you know, we feel pretty good about that. And then at right tackle, we're a little concerned, but we've got a competition between two guys who have been in the building for many years and Kevin Klein and Jack Conley. At that point, like, if you're like, okay, these are our guys, you feel pretty good about that. And right. even after Mahogany's injured, it's like, okay, like, that's not great, but like, maybe we will. Okay, we'll slide Conley over, you know, maybe playing guard will help him out. We've still got, you know, Finn Durstein in there. He can help be kind of this, the calming presence here, and that should help things. And, you know, and then you're, it's like, man, if we do get an injury, it might be a little hazy. It might be a little, um, problematic but you know, maybe we should be able to weather that and they just got destroyed by the injury bug there and so that didn't help at all and but and he but even then he was like okay like we've got you know two returning guys or we got one returning starter we've got one guy who's been in the building a while we've got a guy on the left tackle who's played who's played a good bit we've got a guy on the right side who's played a good bit and two guys that we're working in who will be next to start veterans who can learn the position so i kind of get it you know in terms of why he wasn't so aggressive because he felt good about those starters. And again, like with the offensive line, it's tough because it's hard to say like, Hey, we're going to bring you in to, you know, compete for a job. And I think maybe guys didn't necessarily want to do that. And I, again, I, I kind of agree with you about the NIL thing and about some, something that I wrote about a while ago with the Hatley and the transfer portal thing was that, you know, people were always saying, Oh, there was like 300 linemen in the transfer portal. Right. And it's like, yeah, sure. But that's not a, it's it's not like bc was going after all 300 of them because again like you have to cut out a certain amount of them because of that admissions part and um and then actually like proximity to home like a guy who's like from uh you know southern california might not want to come to bc so you cut out kind of essentially like west of the mississippi river for most guys maybe you find a few here and there uh but yeah i mean so i think there are a lot of factors but i generally do agree with you that i think he kind of learned his lesson that hey we need to you know figure out a way to be more aggressive in the portal. And, the and I'll, and we're going to talk in our second segment. We have to, we have to take a, a, a moment here, but he will talk about what Halfley has to change. And I can already tell you that some of his, I think his staff and his views on certain things have already started to adjust, but the holidays are here achieving gr- gifting greatness. When you give the gift of perfectly aged tender and delicious Omaha steaks, the steaks experts at Omaha steaks have put together specially curated gift packages to help take the guesswork out of gifting and make you a holiday hero. Go to omahasteaks.com and use look locked on at checkout to get $30 off your order. Send an assortment of mouthwatering favorites, including 
guaranteeing to impress like the legendary's butcher's cut filet mignon, air chilled boneless chicken, ultra juicy burgers, and even an easy prepare comfort meals that are ready in a flash. My wife's grandmother a couple years ago sent us one for Christmas. These things are delicious. They're easy to cook, and they are such great quality. So Omaha Steaks is ready to ship your order right now. So shop early and beat the shopping rush. Go to omahasteaks.com and use promo code Locked On at checkout. Omaha Steaks is a gift from the heart, a gift that will be remembered with every unforgettable bite. Again, go visit omahasteaks.com. Use promo code Locked On at checkout to get that extra $30 off your order. Minimum order may be required. Locked on BC here. Every time I talk about Omaha Steaks, I want to say it like uh, Peyton Manning, but I, <laughs> I think I'd get in trouble if I did that. But let's let's look at Halfley again. So we talked about all the things he did, some of the things that he did right and wrong, and believe me, we can continue talking about that, but we, 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 we kind of glanced over some of it. And I'm going to jump in, and I'll start this one off, with things that he needs to improve on. And, I, and I'm going to go back to the transfer portal. And folks have already said, like, oh, is BC going to be active in the portal? And I can tell you, because I follow along with what the staff is doing, that they are much more active in the portal right now than any time I saw them last year. They they are reaching out, and you can see their feelers going out all over the place, whether it's to FCS schools, which don't poo-poo that. you got Zion Johnson through that. You, they're going through uh, power five programs, coaching changes uh, with schools that coaching changes in it. They're doing a lot right now and they're doing it at a lot of positions. I, I mean, I've seen them pushing a lot towards the secondary, obviously the offensive line running backs. I've seen a lot of running back um, interest out there. Um, they're doing a lot. So I think that's a big thing ha- as we were just kind of alluding to in that last segment, the halfway kind of has to change is he's got a, he's, he really needs to build depth on this roster. Um, and I wanted to also bring up, uh, based off of that last segment too, one position that I was kind of shocked at how thin it got was the secondary. Because just as someone who follows recruiting and, and does all the, all the work on recruiting, that first 2020 class that he brought, uh, 2021 class that he brought in, uh, like the big joke was like, it was like half of it was the secondary and he was running out of guys out there. And that was, that was concerning. But um, I think that just uh, at all those positions, I feel like depth is something he's going to need to build up. Yeah, definitely. And I think with the secondary, I mean, I know uh, there were two guys that had to transfer. I, th- I don't think they were the same year, but I think it was both Sean's Asbury and Gates, right. Who had to transfer. Yeah. After- the, uh, Gates never got in. Right. Um, something happened. I think he got arrested. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I think there was a that happened, and then the he other ended one up at uh, Arkansas, Utah State. Yeah. So um, yeah, he, and know, then he's... and then Asbury transferred to Old Dominion to be closer to home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got all that stuff going on in the secondary. Uh, in terms of what else he needs to change, yeah, I I really want to see him develop in in terms of that like in game management, in terms of play calling, you know, end of half situational football, all that. Um. I think that's something that he really needs to show improvement in because it's kind of plateaued, uh, you know, since I guess really the first year. And again, this is his first time head coaching. So you kind of expect some growing pains there, but once we get into the fourth year, it's like, all right, you got to show some growth by this point. It's kind of like you would a player, like, you know, you say like, you can like think about like Drew Kendall, like this mm-hmm. year he had some rough patches, but as I watched, I was willing to give him some slacks. I'm like, all right, he's playing his first year. Like there's going to be some moments, but if he was playing like this, in his final year, but like, all right, like this guy can't play anymore. Like this is ridiculous. Um, and so that's kind of my opinion on Halfley. I, I want to address this uh, comment from Chris 
this is, I guess, I guess, do we have anything else we want to talk about with half like changing or anything like that? But I do want to address this comment. No, I mean, the, to kind of add on to what you're saying, like we're into year four now with Halfley. He cannot have more of these games. I, I you know, last year I as- associated the games where things fell apart quickly on Dennis Grossell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, some of it I, I can assume I can associate with the offensive line, but at some point there's going to be something with every team you know, something that he's going to have to fix and he can't just have the wheels fall off of games over and over and over again, mm-hmm. because that, that seems to be a systemic problem. So I think it, it goes back to situational, you know, understanding what's going I mean, on. That that's even like pre that's like pregame planning. That's being like, all right, like we've had like this year, like we've had this issue with the offensive line. We've got to change some things so we can figure out how to make our offense do something. And like last year, this year, it was an issue where the de- the offense never did it, had stretches where they never did anything. And that kept putting the defense back on the field in bad situations. Uh, so okay. that, that, that issue continued because of the offense's failures, but for very different reasons from 21 to 22, but yeah, let's do this comment. All right. Uh, and, and yeah, in certain parts of the offense, I think I'm not even going to address it's like things are his fault. Like the offensive, like the running game, like we're not going to get into that. It's just because the offensive line was putrid. I don't know what else to say. About yeah. That's, that's yeah. a fact. I mean, pass protection was bad because the offensive line was bad and a lot affected a lot of the passing game. Uh, All right. Which comment yeah. did you want? Uh, the, the, the first one, oh, it's the same comment. I don't know why he put it twice, but yeah, this is because I was thinking about this the other day. So it says Steve Adazio was fired after going six and six in 2019. How many wins does Jeff Halfley have to get next year in order to keep his job? And will a six and six oh, record cut it next year? Oh, I see. But cut it twice. Um, okay. So, a big factor in this is the fact that BC's schedule next year is significantly easier than it's been in years past because of the, the abolition of the ACC's division. So first of all, non-conference schedule, home against NIU, home against Holy Cross, at Army, home against UConn. Those four games have to be wins. If he <laughs> loses to, to UConn again, I'm yeah. done. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 the last weekend in October. So you know, I know BC doesn't really like to fire coaches midseason, but especially losing that game at home. I think that could be grounds. So those four games have to be wins. The other four games, because of no divisions, you don't have Clemson. You don't have uh, NC state, but here's the rest of the ACC conference that you have to, that BC has to play Florida state at home, Virginia tech at home, Miami at home, Virginia at home. So let Florida state's very good. They're, they're very good this year. I think they will be better next year. Miami's, kind of in the, in a rebuilding year. I think next year they're going to be better. Virginia tech still in the throes of a rebuild, probably going to be about the same, maybe a little better next year, but that game's at home. That's got to be a win. Virginia at home, another rebuilding program. That's got to be a win next year. Yep. So that's, so that's six. You got six wins right there at home. Without even your away games. Exactly. So I would say you could pick up six wins there. The away games you've got at Louisville, at Syracuse, at Georgia tech, at Pitt. So Louisville is going to be without Malik Cunningham. Scott Satterfield somehow saved his job next year, but he probably still gonna be on the hot seat next year. We got at Syracuse. They probably will be without Sean Tucker. Uh, that's, I mean, that's, that'll be a tough game. I'll just, we'll leave it there at Georgia tech long road trip, but team that is going to be first year of a new head coach. And you've got at Pitt. at, that'll probably be a tough game. I still think at least two, I would say two of those games are winnable. Now, again, like we've been pretty optimistic going into BC every year for the past three years. So I, I think he needs to finish the year at least seven and six and whether that's or sorry um no eight and eight and five yes eight and five now that can be either you go eight and four and 
and lose the bowl game or seven and five and win the bowl game at that. That's it. If I think six and six does not cut it um, because that assumes that you are losing either you're going to lose one of those two games at home that should be winnable or you're going to, and you're going to lose all your away games or you're going to, you know, just, or you're going to lose a non-con, which is unacceptable against this slate, you know, that, so well, well, an army loss be the death knell for Frank Spaziani. I'm going way back. Frank Spaziani <laughs> and Jeff Halfley. <laughs> yeah. I mean, army's, I mean, army's not as good this year as they have been in years past. Uh, I haven't really looked into their roster, but so maybe next year they'll be even worse. I don't know, but I mean, I, I think that eight and five is, I think that's kind of where he's got to get. I think maybe he could pull, but even if it, if it's seven and six and he goes six and six, I'm gonna, I think everybody will be really disappointed. Can he get to eight wins with, with Emmett Moorhead or does he need to like hot shot a, a transfer in here to try to like breathe some quick life into this program? I would need to look at the transfer portal. To, I, I know Jeff Sims is in. I know Davis Brin, who was the quarterback at uh, Tulsa just went in. I know JJ McCarthy, the, quarterback in Michigan just win, but I don't think he's Kate McCarthy. Sorry. I always get them confused. Yep. Dang Irish. Um, um, so I, I, it depends, in there. Yeah. It depends on who it is. Um, if it was a guy like, like uh, McNamara, ob- like for sure. He's not going to uh, go to BC. No, exactly. Like he, I was looking at his offer sheet cause I was just like, maybe, but he has offer sheet was like Bama, Notre Dame, Georgia. And so I was like, no way. Um, I mean, maybe Sims it's possible, but I think I think if you can get again, if you can get the offensive line to a competent level, have the defense kind of you're going to have to weather a lot of uh, senior leadership leaving. But I could see a, I could see a way of maybe getting to like seven and five and winning the bowl game. I could see that being possible. Uh, eight, eight might be tough, but if he pulls it off, I'll be like, hey, this is good. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like uh, Moorhead, when he was able to set his feet and actually make his reads, he could make some good throws. Yeah, it? absolutely. It's just when he's getting killed. <laughs> yeah, and I think and I think a full off season of him working with ideally a revamped offensive line, you know, getting getting his chemistry even better with guys like uh, Joe Griffin, Lewis Bond, Jaden Williams, um, Ish Zamore, if he's going to play next year, I, I think that that could do wonders. And yeah, I, I I think that that's I think seven and six is a reason or eight and five is a reasonable floor. Um, if he if he goes seven and five and you lose the bowl game. I don't know that that's that's tough because I, th- I think you have to lose the bowl games like a much better opponent and lose it close. Like if you lost to um, like an SEC team or something and they just blew you out of the water, then maybe. But it, it would be tough. I, I think that would be a really difficult decision to make. All right, Mitch. Well, we'll be we'll have you back on again uh, at, at another time to talk more about this season. Where can people find your work? You can find me at Mitchell T. Wolf, W-O-L-F-E on Twitter. Uh, so we just had the three stars for the Syracuse game come out. We'll be having the three stars of the season come out later this week. And I also made an eligibility tracker so you can see where BC stands or where the players stand in terms of uh, what eligibility is remaining for them because you've got guys who played through the COVID year. You've got guys who are graduated but have a COVID year. You've got guys who don't have a COVID year but they registered or whatever. So I, I think I got most of it right. Hopefully all of it, probably not, but that should be a good resource for people to know. Okay. Like this guy has X amount of years of eligibility left. So make sure you're checking that out on the site. All right. Thank you, Mitch. And uh, we'll, t- we'll talk to you again soon. All right. In, in a moment, we're going to look at the transfer portal. Talk about one guy that from BC that has already entered and look at maybe for others that could be heading in as well. This is Locked On Boston College, AJ Black here. We had Mitch on just a moment ago, but I want to also let you know, if you're listening to this live on Eagle Insider right now, the site that I run, Mitch does a lot of work there too. 
we have premium access on sale until midnight tonight. By midnight, you can get the entire year with all of the recruiting news, all the transfer portal news, all of Mitch's game film for an entire year for $224 a month. That's 75% off. All you need to do is head over to Eagle Insider and sign up now. Make sure you do that before midnight because that clock is running out. All right. Speaking of recruiting news and transfer portal news, BC had their first transfer uh, player enter the portal. And I th- and I think a lot of folks were really confused why he was playing. But Kevin Pine, a 20, uh, he is a grad student, offensive lineman, former four-star from the class of 2020, also recruited alongside Ozzie Trapillo, who's actually playing right now, um, is entering the transfer portal. Now, he is a player that a lot of BC fans have been clamoring for for years. You know, he's a four-star. He's a local kid. He's huge. Why hasn't he been playing? He hadn't played it down. And I think the answer, and I'm not going to get into the answer, but you could probably put the pieces together. Why? It was not injuries. Sometimes guys just don't fit. Sometimes they don't have the, you know, in high school, they may be a beast. I mean, he's six, seven, three something and playing in Massachusetts. He's going to kill. He's going to be a, a force out there. But when he gets out there against other guys from around the country, Maybe he's just not the the fit for an ACC level offensive line or whatever BC had. I mean, the fact that he didn't play with what BC had going on, I feel like that kind of gives you what you need to know. Now he's going to transfer. I love seeing on Twitter the the fans from opposing fan bases that are like, I saw Notre Dame like a fan sided Notre Dame uh, page saying that he should come to Notre Dame because Drew Pines is cousin the quarterback for Notre Dame, and I saw Florida State saying it, uh, Penn State. Like as Phil Troutwain, I'm telling you right now, folks, Kevin Pine is not going to end up at Notre Dame, Florida State, or Penn State. I mean, if he can't play with what BC had going on with his offensive line, why would he be going to a top 25 team? He, I think, will get a better chance playing at UMass or a UConn. And that's my guess. That's my guess of where he'll end up. And that's great. If it gives him a chance to play, all the power to him. Now he's not a grad, he's a grad student. He can, he can declare whenever he wants because it's different than the kids that have to wait to declare on December 5th. And I think we're going to get a lot of names coming up soon. Um, But he played, what was funny was Saturday morning, I reported out, I talked to BC and he had, you know, he was entering the portal. He had never played for BC. So it wasn't really all that big of a deal. And what happens in the fourth quarter? I see number 75 out there playing Kevin Pine played 12 plays. Now he probably is transfer. He probably has told the staff that he is entering the transfer portal. He has not probably entered the official NCAA transfer portal at that time. Hence the reason why he got to play. He's, you know, it was the game was out of reach at that point. He's a grad student. He's been waiting to play, let him play. I don't think it was a big deal. I saw some folks asking questions about that. I think that was probably the reason why. Now I expect many BC players to enter the portal coming up soon. Folks who wanted to know, again, I'm going to put the names out on Eagle Insider because it's research stuff. And I put that behind a paywall because when I have to do a little extra work, I want to give it to my VIP members. But they wanted to know what players had their um, eligibility exhausted who are definitely gone because they had the senior uh, banquet this week. And 
there's a whole bunch of players on there, like Pat Garwo, Phil Dracovic, um, Josh DeBerry, and a whole, whole bunch of different players. And I reached out to BC and I got the names. It's only like six guys that are officially definitely done. But that leaves the question, what is going to happen to all those other guys? Remember last year, Halfley had to make the decision with some of those guys, guys like CJ Lewis, Jelani Galloway, um, you know, Joe Sporacio, Jamin Muse. They had to make the decision of letting them go because they've graduated and let, you know, let them go onto the transfer portal. I think that's going to happen again soon with some of these other guys. I don't know who it's going to be, but we'll be here at BC locked on BC to talk about it. Thank you all for listening. If you haven't done so already, please hit that like and subscribe button on locked on BC's YouTube page. It really helps. So if you're listening to this episode, hit the like on that, uh, on that, on this video and then hit the subscribe button. We'll, we'll be in great shape for Mitch Wolf. This is AJ black. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back again tomorrow to talk more BC. Take care.